So have you all ever heard the phrase, if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck? How many of you all have heard that phrase before? A few of you, right. So what does this phrase mean? Why are we talking about ducks this morning? Well, what that phrase means is that when you look at someone and you observe the way they look, the way they talk, the way they dress, the way they act, you can make some pretty astute observations about them. I mean, if I walked in here wearing a Cowboys jersey, a Cowboys hat, some custom Cowboys shoes that I made, what would that say about me? That I enjoyed being miserable these past 28 years. You are correct. But yeah, that I'm a Cowboys fan. Because you look at me and you're like, obviously that person is a Cowboys fan. As we continue in our study in Ephesians 4, we're going to continue to learn about how we are to act as Christians by putting off the old self and putting on the new self so that when people look at us, they will see God being exalted through the way that we act, through the way that we behave. So far in the section, if you're not there, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We have seen that we need to put off lying and put on truthfulness. Last week, we examined um, putting off selfish anger and putting on righteous anger and what that actually means. Today, we're going to examine verses 28 to 30, in which we're going to cover putting off and putting on two different things. So we're going to cover putting off stealing and unwholesome speech, but instead putting on hard work and edifying speech. So that's the title of our lesson this morning. Put off stealing and unwholesome speech. Put on hard work and edifying speech. Let's read our passage together. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. We're thankful for your word that it is unchanging. We're thankful that the words that Paul wrote are as true then as they are today. I pray that you would convict us of our sin Help us to be molded into your likeness. Help us to be humble before your word as we study it and see where we can grow in our walk with you. We thank you and love you in your name. Amen. The first point that we have this morning is put off stealing. Put off stealing. Now, when you think of stealing, I don't know about you guys, but the first thing that I think about is like the guy in the mask with the black and white striped shirt, like planning a bank robbery. That, that's what I think when I first think of stealing. And stealing is still such a problem in today's world that just last month, the CFO of Target said that shoplifting has jumped 50% year over year, meaning that this fiscal year, they've lost more than $400 million just to shoplifting. So ladies, you need to shop at Target more because they've lost a lot of money. Just kidding. Please don't do that. But yeah, shoplifting is still a huge problem today. For some of you, you may hear that I'm going to talk about stealing. You're like, well, I've never stolen anything in my life. I really don't care. Like, I go to Kroger. I pay for what I need to. So I'm going to take a nap. And randomly, if you just hear start clapping, it's because somebody fell asleep. So nobody fell asleep this morning. 
But no, you know, it's easy to tune out because you think stealing. I, I don't steal. That is not something I'm even tempted to do. One of the most common ways that people steal in today's world, though, is not actually taking something, but it's something called time theft. So how many of you have jobs? A few of you. That's right. So time theft is when you are intentionally unproductive at work. So your employer pays you money, right? And while you're working, they expect you to be working, right? Statistics show that 20% of every dollar earned by a company is lost to time theft. Simply put, when you waste time at work intentionally, that's stealing. That's just one example we're going to look at today. What I want us to consider, though, is instead of looking at statistics on like how much stealing is going on in the world, I want us to look at what Scripture says about stealing. So look back at verse 28. We are given a clear command. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Simply put, don't steal. <laughs> don't steal. That's a pretty simple command. If you guys were to guess where the first recorded uh, robbery or attempted theft is found in Scripture, where do you guys think that would be found? So in the history of the universe, when was the first attempted theft? I see a Garden of Eden. That's a great one. We'll actually talk about it. That's the first successful theft. So yes, the first attempted theft is actually found in Revelation chapter 12. So there's a war going on in heaven, right? And Satan gathers up his little angel buddies and he says, hey, we want to steal God's throne and make it our own. We think we are a better ruler than God. And obviously Satan doesn't succeed, so it's not a successful attempt at stealing. And so God casts him into hell and sends him to earth and hooray, there's wickedness. So that's the first attempted theft in the history of the universe. The first successful theft yeah, is found in Genesis chapter 2. Remember, God told Adam in verses 16 and 17, in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. That's a pretty clear command, right? God says you can eat literally of any tree in the world. I gave you this perfect paradise. You can eat from anything. You can do whatever you want. The one rule I have, do not eat from this one tree. Easy enough, right? Well, what does Eve do in chapter 3, verse 6? She saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. So she took from the fruit and ate. She took what was not hers. She took something that belonged only to God. God, from the beginning, prohibits all forms of stealing. And this is made especially clear in the Ten Commandments, right? What's commandment number eight? Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Hey, there we go. That's right. Easy one. That's one of the easy questions. Yeah, you should not steal. It's about as clear as you can get. Stealing is so serious to God that the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 30, verse 9, that when you steal, you are profaning the name of God of God. As I mentioned earlier, stealing, stealing looks different to different groups of people, right? Obviously, yes, we're talking about taking stuff, but when you get older, and some of you, when you have jobs, you pay taxes. 
which is the government stealing from you. That's another lesson for a different day. But if you don't pay your taxes, what are you doing? You're stealing from what the government tells you to do. For y'all in school, when you cheat on a test, what are you doing? You're stealing someone's answers. You are receiving the credit for the work that someone else did. If you guys are ever tempted to plagiarize, what are you doing? You're stealing the hard work that someone else has done and claiming it to be your own. Obviously, stealing is wrong. We don't need to go too deep into all that. But looking back at verse 28, Paul doesn't just say, don't steal and then move on. As we've been accustomed to these past few weeks, he tells us to put off stealing and put on what? Hard work. Put on hard work. Let's read verse 28 again. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Before we keep going, I want to make sure that y'all understand this example of working hard doesn't just apply to the people who struggle with stealing. If you're like, well, I don't struggle with stealing, so I don't have to work hard. No, that's not the case at all. Working hard should be an attribute of all of us as Christians. The Greek word for work hard here means to work to the point of exhaustion. So when Hannah and I first got married, I was the uh, manager at a Chick-fil-A here in Grapevine. And because of the way that store was being run, there were some times where I would open, at, so I'd get there at like 5.30 in the morning. I'd go home like after lunch for a couple hours, take a nap, and then go back to work and close. And so there was one week I remember where I did that for like four or five days straight. And at the end of the week, I went to go get my car washed, and I fell asleep like at the car wash place on the chair there. And eventually people came up and were like, are you alive? Are you okay? I, I, that, I can honestly say that is the most exhausted I have ever been in my life. As Christians, we are to work, not work ourselves to exhaustion, but we are to work as if we are working ourselves to exhaustion with that same intensity, with that same passion for our work. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. From here on out, we're going to do, be doing quite a bit of turning, so... Y'all get ready. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, Paul tells the Thessalonian church this. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. That last phrase, behave properly towards outsiders, is key here. What Paul is telling us is that if you are a Christian, your work ethic will be a testimony, either good or bad, to the unbelievers around you. I mean, put yourselves in your classmates' shoes. If you never show up to school on time, if you don't turn in your homework, if you always fall asleep in class, if you're just known as having like a lazy vibe about you, what are they going to think about when you say that you're a Christian? I mean, the only thing they see is your school self, right? But if you're lazy in that, they're going to assume that you are most likely lazy in your spiritual life as well. I was listening to this podcast, and this one businessman said, how you do anything is how you do everything. 
And that really stuck with me. How you do anything is how you do everything because it reminds me that I need to work hard at my job because that is going to be a good testimony to my coworkers. And I'm going to carry on that hard work into the relationship I have with my family, with my friends, and ultimately with Lord. And the same goes for you. You need to be working hard because that's going to show others the type of person you are and the type of commitment you have to God. Paul was a great example of this in his life. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. As he's leaving the Ephesians, he says, starting in verse 33 to 35, Acts 20, 33 to 35, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men of who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So what did Paul do for work? How did Paul fund his ministry? What did he do? And just know if no one raises their hand, I'm going to ask. Oh, yes. That's right. He was a tent maker. So by trade, Paul was a tent maker. And the reason Paul did that, as we see here, is because he wanted to have a good testimony to the unbelievers that he was ministering to because he didn't want them to attack him and say, oh, here's Paul. He's coming into town. Oh, yeah, he's going to stay at the nicest house, and they're going to give him all this money, and he's going to you know, put on a seminar and then just leave in a couple weeks. No, Paul wanted to be so above reproach that he didn't accept money from anyone, even though he could have. He worked hard with his hands to make tents, to sell them, so that that way he can fund his own ministry. And think about how, of how much Paul actually did. As we read all of the accounts, I mean, he's constantly traveling. He's constantly teaching. He's constantly instilling uh, men in churches into positions of leadership so that they can carry on in the church. It's not like Paul just kind of showed up, did a couple things, and left. Paul was a very busy person, but he still made it a point to work hard, to find quality goods and build quality tents, I'm assuming. To close out Paul's examples of working hard, just jot these verses down. 1 Corinthians 4, 11 to 12. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless, and we toil working with our own hands. 1 Thessalonians 2, 9. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Second Thessalonians 3, 7-9. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with labor and hardship we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. Paul knew that he worked hard. He probably felt it a few times too. And he told the churches, look, I'm working hard for the gospel. I'm working hard in my actual job. I want you to do the same. Paul was a hard worker because he wanted to imitate the example that Christ set for working hard. And remember, up until Jesus started his ministry, what was Jesus? He was a carpenter, right? 
you think Jesus was lazy when it came to like making his tools and you know putting some cabinets together? No, no. Jesus, because he was the perfect son of God, always worked hard. He was perfectly holy, so everything that he did was perfect. I mean, in fact, in Mark 6, when he starts his ministry, what do people say? They say, wait, isn't that Jesus the carpenter? I mean, he obviously had a good reputation for being a quality carpenter. So it's not simply enough to work hard, though. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Yes, we need to put off stealing. We need to not steal. We need to work hard. But working hard in and of itself is not enough. Go back to Ephesians 4. He who steals must steal no longer. Cover that. Don't steal. But rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. So don't just steal. You must work hard. But why are we to work hard? So that he will have something to share with one who has need. We're to work hard for the right reasons. And that reason, as told by Paul, is that so you can use the fruit of your labor for the benefit of others. Once you get into the workforce, you're going to be able to use your job to benefit other people. I mean, think of someone who owns a business. What are they doing? They're employing others. They're letting others have jobs. They're paying them a fair wage so that they can provide for their families. Any job is it's not as long as it's not directly causing you or others to sin, can be used for the benefits of the glory of God if it's done well. How many of you ladies went to the women's Christmas banquet? Quite a few of you, right? So I heard, and guys, I'll tell you this, I heard it was very beautifully decorated with a lot of like plants and stuff. And I'm like, wow, cool. My decoration is like, here's a Cowboys poster. So that's why they don't put me in charge of those things. But I heard it was very beautifully decorated with all these plants. And what you may or may not know is that those plants were actually provided by a nursery that's right next to the Bowden. And the owners of that nursery, which for those of you that don't know, a nursery is like a plant store. I didn't know that until too late in life, a lot later that I'd like to admit. But anyways, that's beside the point. So all those plants were provided by the owners of this nursery. And those owners happened to go to our church. So they thought, I have this plant business. And you may think, okay, plant business, how can, how can a plant business glorify God? Well, they help by making the place look beautiful. They also provide a lot of the plants that we have here on our landscape that make our campus look beautiful. You see, they, as business owners, are using their business to glorify God. That's one example. You can also use the money that you receive from your job to help people in need. You know, there's a lot of good organizations, which if you ever donate to organizations, do research on them to make sure they're not, like, skimming off the top. Like, we work with the Grace Community Clinic in Grapevine, or uh, another one is Cornerstone Clothes Closet. But another way you can help people is by giving to the church's benevolence fund, which that fund directly goes to help the families in our church that are in need. You know, John the Baptist used this example of giving to those in need as a mark of someone who has truly repented. In Luke 3, he says, The man who has two tunics to share is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. So even John the Baptist was saying, Hey, take care of the people that are in need. If you have extra, share with those. Give to others. Alongside that, you can also use your money to help further the kingdom of God by donating to support our ministries. 
And the last thing I want to touch on when it comes to working for the right reasons is that whenever we talk about working for the right reasons, you know, we spend a lot of time on like, hey, give your money away, like give to people in need, give, you know, what you have to, to others. And that's a great thing. You should be doing that. But you should also enjoy the rewards of your hard work. In fact, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, to instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conce- conceited or to fix their hope on uh, the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Paul knew that there were rich people in the churches. He said, that's fine. It's good that you guys are rich. That's fine. Don't get so focused on your riches. Don't get so focused on your money. Don't, get, don't be conceited. But enjoy it. Enjoy the things that God gives you. So if you want to buy a pair of new shoes, a new car, a rare uh, holographic Charizard Pokemon card, you know, save up your money, work hard, do good to others, but enjoy it as well. Enjoy the rewards of your hard work. The next command we're given by Paul is to put off unwholesome speech. So we're to put off stealing, we're to put on hard work. Thirdly, put off unwholesome speech. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. In Greek, the words of this phrase are arranged differently to give a little bit more of a direct emphasis. Directly from Greek to English, this sentence reads, Every rotten word out of your mouth, not let come. Let me read that again. Every rotten word out of your mouth, not let come. The implication here is that we are all tempted to say rotten things, but we need to take an active role in not letting those things come out of our mouths. Because if you do not control the words that you say, and you allow the pattern of your speech to be filled with rotten words, it's going to be like rotten food, right? What happens if there's, you know, you have a basket of apples and there's one rotten apple? What happens to the rest of the basket? Eventually, it all gets rotten, right? If you don't cut it out, it will ruin the rest of it. So if you, as a pattern of your speech is filled with rotten words, that's going to fill the rest of your life. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus tells the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The root of the issue isn't the words themselves, right? The root of the issue isn't that, oh, I said a bad word, or I said a dirty joke, whatever it may be. But if the overall pattern of your speech includes things that are vulgar, off-color, inappropriate, so on and so forth, that is a direct reflection of what's in your heart and of what is in your heart and an indicator that you might not be a believer. Turn to James chapter 3 with me. James chapter 3. As we go into this command to not speak unwholesome things, I want to make sure you know the importance of it, but also know that this is not an easy task. James chapter 3, let's start reading in verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast 
and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Y'all, the words that you say are very difficult to control. And to be honest, in and of yourselves, you cannot control your words. In fact, even while Jesus was on trial, Peter denied Jesus, as we see in Matthew 26. He denied Jesus with cursing and swearing. John MacArthur said of this verse in Ephesians 4, that a foul mouth comes from a foul heart. And the only way for the Lord to cleanse our tongue is through his word, which fills the heart with whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, as we see in Philippians 4.8. Proverbs is a great place for, go, for us to go to in order to find out what God has to say about our speech. So turn to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. And I made this easy for you guys. I started in the low numbers and we move up. So you just have to turn a few pages. So everyone poke the people next to you if they're falling asleep. And here we go. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. So if you are someone who likes to talk a lot the chances might be that the more you talk, the more likely you are to sin and to tear people down. We'll keep going into this. Proverbs 13, verse 3. 13, 3. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Once again, the person that is careful with the words that come out of their mouth preserves his life. And the person that just likes to talk and talk and talk and talk that person is more likely to ruin it that kind of goes counterculture to what we think in america right because we think oh we have our freedom of speech and that is true we do have freedom of speech you know people say yeah i can say whatever i want and no one can stop me yes that is true but guess what you have consequences for your freedom of speech there are consequences to the words that you say this goes for your physical words the thing you actually say but for your digital words as well. You know, as we're going through these verses, compare them not only to the words that you say, but compare them to your text messages, what you write on your social media accounts, and yes, even for your Xbox party chats. That's another dangerous one. But the words that we say are important. A couple more verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. One of the best ways that you can guard what you say is when someone is talking, when you're having a conversation with someone, actively listen to that person. Don't just wait till they stop talking so that you can start talking in response. Listen to people. Actively listen and respond in a correct way. Proverbs 17, 28. 17, 28. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. If you're ever in doubt what to say, or if you're like, oh, I'm about to say something that I shouldn't, you know what? Just don't. It's better to just not talk at all. And, you know, if you constantly stick your foot in your mouth, just don't talk. Think about what you're going to say. 
and then say those things. And one thing, I better not hear you guys using this verse with your small group leaders of why you're not talking in your small groups. If you do, I'm going to come find you. Finally, Proverbs 21, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. This is a great summary, summary verse of the importance of guarding what you say. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. So obviously, we are not to use unwholesome or rotten words. So what are we to do? We're to put on edifying speech. Fourth point, put on edifying speech. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. As Christians, the only words that we are to be speaking are those that edify or that build others up. And I'm going to be honest, that is an impossible standard. But just like we keep talking about over and over, we're not looking for perfection, right? We're looking for progress. Obviously, when you are a new Christian, you're still going to have some habits from when you were unsaved, but the overall pattern of your life is going to change. And as you continue to become more knowledgeable in your word, as you continue to grow in your love for God, those sinful patterns are going to be put off. And this goes for your speech as well. So if unwholesome words are rotten, what are edifying words? In the New Testament, this word edifying was used to describe the literal building process. Spiritually, we're to build each other up. We're to encourage the spiritual growth of our believing friends. Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 to encourage one another up and build up one another. And even earlier in this chapter, we saw that if the body is working together, the body of believers in the church is working together, it gets built up in love. So how can we use edifying words in our day-to-day -day lives? Like, great, I need to build other up. What does that mean? Well, if y'all are in sports, if someone is going through a bit of a slum, you know, your receiver couldn't catch a cold if he was outside in the snow, uh, your left fielder couldn't hit the broad side of a barn, or, you know, one of the guys on your basketball team, like, could build a house with how many bricks he hits every game. You know, what do you say? Do you go up to your teammates and you're like, guys, why is he even on the team? This guy stinks. Like, What's the matter? Like, do you talk about people behind their back? Do you tear them down for their shortcomings, for their faults? Or do you figure out what's wrong with them? Do you go and help them and say, look, I, I've been noticing you've been struggling. What's going on? Can I help you with anything? I'll, I'll train with you. That is building other people up. Proverbs 12, 18. And write this verse down. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword. So the image here is that someone who is quick to speak, someone who always says what's on your mind, is someone like you is quick to stab you. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Right there is the positive, encouraging side of edifying words. Someone who builds other up, who wants other people to succeed, to do well in their spiritual walk and in their daily lives as well. But edifying words aren't just like the, the happy-go-lucky positive words. Edifying words can be hard words to say as well. I mean, if you see your friend in a constant pattern of sin, what is the edifying thing that they need? Well, they need someone to call them out on their sin, right? 
The loving thing is to help them stop being in sin. And would that be a pretty awkward conversation? Is that a hard conversation to have with your friend of, hey, look, dude, you're in sin. Is that hard to have? Absolutely. That's not an easy thing to do, but it is the edifying thing to do. If your motives are the sanctification of your friend and the exaltation of God, then you must have those difficult conversations. Paul did this with the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 13.10, he says, For this reason I'm writing these things while absent, so that when present I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. So the, the letter of 2 Corinthians was a pretty rough one to the Corinthian church. And Paul says, look, that's why I'm writing these things now, because I love you. And so when I'm with you, we don't have to have these tough conversations. Consider Jesus as well. Was he always the kumbaya, let's hold hands and sing songs with each other and frolic through fields? No, obviously not. We saw the verse earlier when, what did Jesus call the Pharisees? He called them broods of vipers. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He wants to see them stop sinning and glorifying God. So who's the beneficiary of these edifying words? We need to be using edifying words, both the positive of building people up and the difficult bringing people back to the faith. Look back at Ephesians 4, that it may benefit those who listen. Anyone that we talk to, when they leave their conversations with us, should be encouraged, challenged, if that's what's needed. But most importantly, they need to feel loved. Our words are not just for us. Just as we saw with stealing, our hard work isn't just for us. It's for the benefit of others. Our edifying words are for others as well. You know, we saw over and over in Proverbs, we shouldn't talk to hear the sound of our own voice. Our words are meant to build other people up. But it's not just other people that we need to build up. Read verse 30 with me. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Our words are meant for the glory of God. And if you think that your words aren't important, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to talk however I want. I'm going to speak flippantly. I'm just going to be lazy and careless with my words. I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm covered by grace. It doesn't matter. No. Right here, Paul tells us that when you use flippant language, when you use um, a wholesome speech, you grieve the Holy Spirit of God that is within you. And is that a good thing? Turn to Isaiah 63, and we're going to find the answer there. Isaiah 63, verses 9 and 10, we see what happens when people intentionally grieve the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 63, verses 9 to 10. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence, right here, this is a pre-incarnate Jesus that we're talking about. So in the angel of his presence, Jesus saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them all the way to the days of old. Wow, that's amazing. Jesus saved them, loved them, carried them away. Hooray. Verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. What was the result of that? Therefore, he turned himself to become their enemy, he fought against them. That is not a good thing, to have Jesus, to have God, to have the Holy Spirit as your enemy. And when you use careless words, that is going to be a result for you. 
You should want to speak in a way that honors God because you are sealed by his blood for the day of redemption as we see in verse 30 in Ephesians chapter 4. So our application is pretty easy, right? First of all, don't steal. <laughs> don't steal physical things. Don't steal other people's constant at school. Don't cheat. Don't steal time from your employers or from God. So don't steal. Secondly, work hard. But work hard with the right mindset and motivation so that through your hard work, you can bless other people and you can enjoy the rewards of your hard work as well. Third, be careful how you talk. Sometimes the only way that people are going to notice something different about you is by the way that you talk. And I'm pretty sure I've used this example before. I know I have with my small group. But when I was in, uh, in college, I worked at the Costco here. And I worked in the meat department, which is, you know, sealed off. But there's that big glass panel. And those were some of the most vile conversations I had ever heard in my life. And I was in there stuck with this room full of guys. And I made it a point whenever you know, the conversation turned bad. I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to talk. Like, I'm not going to participate. I'm not going to say like, hey, stop talking about that though. So I just stop, stop talking when those things happen. Just kept doing my work. And eventually, you know, I worked there for a few years and one of my coworkers came up to me one day and was like, so I noticed that like, you don't swear. You don't talk like this. Why is that? And I was like, boom, gospel opportunity right here. So I got to share the gospel with him. And I'm not giving you this example to build myself up. But to show you that even if the only thing you do is if you don't swear and you have a um, edifying way that you speak about you, that is so different to what this world sees. It's so different from how the world speaks. So that in and of itself will be an example to the world. But more importantly than not speaking in a gross manner is build each other up through edifying words. Build each other up. Love your friends by the way that you talk to them, even if it means having hard conversations with them. May it be said of us that we work like Christ. We talk like Christ because we are truly disciples of Christ. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for your word. We're thankful for its clarity, and we're thankful for the salvation that it brings. God, I pray that as we leave here today that you would help us to work hard, help us to use words that are encouraging to others, more importantly, words that honor you. Help the pattern of our lives to be ones that are modeled after you. So when other people look at us, they don't see our goodness, but they see your glory. We thank you and love you in your name. Amen.